You're listening to the Final Furlong Podcast. Make sure you hit the subscribe or follow button on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. Now, here's your host, Emmett Kennedy. You're welcome to the show. It is great to have your company. You might be looking for Galway tips, for Goodwood tips, and you hear us talking about affordability checks again on the podcast and think, oh, not for me. I'll wait. I'll go and listen to this in a couple of weeks' time instead. Let me just say to you, that if you want to bet on Galway and Goodwood this time next year, you need to hear this. Because our ability to place those bets is very much in question with huge government overreach over the affordability checks in the UK. So in this episode of the show, we're going to unpack the flaws of the UK government's latest white paper, expose misconceptions about betting behavior, and hopefully rally together to protect the future of gambling as we know it. We'll do so in the company of a good friend of the Final Forum podcast, a professional better. Uh, he runs the website Learn, Bet, Win. It's been a while since we had him on the show, but it's great to have him back. Declan Marr, welcome back to the Final Furlong. How are you doing, Emmett? I, I'm in good form, my friend, in good form. Um, what's your overall take on the gambling white paper and the various different affordability checks before I, I get into it fully with you? Because you're a pro punter, so turnover is going to be a huge thing for you. Um, but if you're asked to hand in an affordability check by uh, an exchange or a bookmaker in order for you to place bets, will you be able to get through that? Um, I would not, definitely not on on what they've come up with. Like, I suppose I do have an income because I have income from, like a non-betting income because I have the income from the the premium service and learn about win. But like, that that wouldn't if they were looking at that and then say you know the amount of money that I would be betting myself and the turnover I would have and the fluctuations in in your betting bank no you I couldn't under the rules that they've come up with like I wouldn't be able to practically bet at all like there was the one that they came up with there last week with the gambling commission was a a one grand loss in any twenty four hours like I've lost far more than that half to, uh, to 100 days a year like um the two grand over 90 days and then some ludicrous suggestion that they wouldn't take into account winnings uh, prior to that so i could win a million quid over nine months and then lose two grand over the next 90 days and they'd be stopping me from betting like uh, people that come up with these that can actually be tasked with coming up with some sort of guidelines and then come up with them clearly haven't a clue about gambling. It's either a staggering level of incompetence or this is a really shrewd, genius move to just put us all off gambling. It's I know which way I'm putting my two grand on anyway. <sighs> Tom Kerr wrote a brilliant article in the Racing Post uh, about this and let's use Tom's article as a guide to see where we are. You've kind of covered the affordability checks to a certain extent, but I want to dig into that a bit more. For those who don't know, if you've been under a rock, or if you're more interested in just celebrating how great the racing world is, and you're more interested in studying form, and who's going to be the leading three-year-old by the end of the season, and so you've been avoiding this like the plague, let me just tell you that the UK government white paper was issued in April. It introduced affordability checks as official policy for gamblers, while promising to minimize their impact on ordinary betters. Hmm. The checks, called Enhanced Financial Risk Assessments, would be triggered at certain spending thresholds and carried out every six months. This proposal has sparked a lot of concern and controversy. 
the regulator, the gambling commission, uh, they proposed ignoring winnings beyond a certain time frame for the calculation of net losses, which has raised a lot of questions about their understanding of betting. Uh, additionally, the requirement for frictionless checks may create difficulties for those without regular incomes. The proposals are currently open for public consultation. And that's why we're talking about this now, because you can literally not just reach out to your MP, not just reach out to your TD if you're concerned this is going to happen in Ireland. You can reach out to the Gambling Commission and you can let them know. And we'll tell you how in a little bit. But uh, frequency and intrusiveness. The UK government's white paper introduced affordability checks as an official policy for gamblers Thresholds are £1,000 in 24 hours, £2,000 in 90 days. The checks are called Enhanced Financial Risk Assessments and are proposed to be conducted every six months to ensure gamblers' financial circumstances have not changed significantly. This proposal has been met with a lot of criticism uh, as it treats betting behaviour from other financial transactions or displays a lack of understanding of betting behaviour. So if I went through, you're a professional gambler, so I'm going to frame this from the perspective of, of me and from the vast majority of people who listen to the Final Frontal podcast. Uh, if I blew through a £1,000 in 24 hours gambling, that's almost certainly me chasing losses. That's almost certainly me spiralling. Um, and if a bookmaker or a sports book was to intervene and say, are you okay? We think you should take a bit of a break. I would appreciate that. Um, big enough to admit that if I'm doing that, that's wrong. However... 2,090 days. Um, I don't think that that would affect me, but I can think of a lot of people that it would affect, and it seems like a pretty low threshold to go through. And this isn't just a light check, because this is one of the things that the anti-gambling brigade have said. It's like, oh, you don't need to worry yourself about this. You don't need to concern yourself with it. You can still bet. It's a very small thing. no. If you lose £125 in 30 days or £500 in a year, they will do light checks. So they'll use your postcode uh, to look at salary averages. They'll use your postcode and your data to look up county court judgments. That's the light side of things if you um, incur a loss of £125 in 30 days. But if you're incurring a loss of 2000 in 90 days, you have to go through a full affordability check, which includes credit agencies, looking into the overall viability of your account. Now, that, Declan, is something I think is deeply, deeply concerning. Yeah, I'd agree. Like, from my perspective, it would be deeply concerning because obviously, again, if they knew anything about gambling, they would know that 90 days is a very, very uh, small uh, time frame that anyone could have a loss over 90 days. And if you're betting for a living, a 2,000 loss over 90 days is pretty much nothing because, you know, the fluctuations um, in your bankroll, if if you wanted to make a decent wage a year, it wouldn't really be that big a fluctuation because at the end of the day, you're only making a small percentage of your overall stakes. So they would have to be quite high. And there's just quite a lot of variance in... Um, in gambling, so like that would be a very minute amount over uh, over any period of time. Um, like I'd have to ask, who who do they think they're helping with this? Who do they actually think they're helping? Like if somebody is addicted to gambling, it's the same as probably any other addiction. You find ways to um, to do what you're addicted to. You 
jeez, uh, I'm just looking at a race here and I'm just getting chained in the last few strides. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> um, but, uh, you Tell us who it was. Tell it. us who it was. Haunted Dream at Goodwood. I tipped it at 12 to 1. Oh, who won? Um, what was the winner called? I have the sound off. Ancient Rome, Jamie Spencer. I'll I'll, um, I'll try not to completely freak out about that and um and and try to to be very. Are you are you telling me that that ancient Rome just won at thirty three to one? I'm yeah thirty three to one yeah. <clears throat> My one was done at one point zero five in running. Well, okay, so in a way, I'm really sorry for you. In another way, I'm like yeah, <laughs> sorry about that, mate. Um, did you back the winner? Yeah, I did. Uh, it, it's not like he's in uh, a single where uh, it's a it's a ridiculous amount of money. I'm I'm winning. He's the first leg of, of a lucky sixty three. So it's it's a there's a long way to go. They'll probably all fall at the back of the telly, but we'll we'll see. Um, but going back to that anyway, where um, I've lost my uh... oh yeah, who are they actually helping? Because the people that have a problem are still going to find a way to bet. They're like. Making it harder for them is making something harder for somebody that isn't all that bothered, likes a bet, it's a pastime, but could stop them betting. Making it harder for somebody that's addicted is not really going to do anything. What does it do? Like, they'll just lie. They'll they'll find ways to do it anyway. There's always the black market they can go onto, which is totally and utterly unregulated. And I think I've seen has grown massively over the last few years. Um, so they're helping nobody. All they're doing is stopping people doing what they actually like to do for people like me there's they could stop you getting been able to um use money that you have because of their ridiculous 90 day rules and total lack of understanding of what variance and gambling is stop you betting at all for people that say are wealthy but don't have retired say for instance they don't have proof of of an income because they've retired but they could have millions of pounds in the bank and they only want to spend a few thousand back in horses or back in, in soccer matches. Like there's absolutely no reason to be stopping them from doing anything. No, before I even go any further, I don't think there's any reason to stop anyone doing anything because I think people should have to take responsibility for their own actions. The person that's addicted, it, they're, they're still the ones that are spending the money um, that they maybe don't have. But like, just because they have an addiction, that doesn't excuse them. Like, um, they have to take responsibility for it. I'm, I'd be all for helping people and having all the right support systems in place. But at the end of the day, you can't expect everyone not to do something because some people can't do it within, within moderation. And gambling in moderation is a very enjoyable pastime. I was actually, I think it was actually Tom Kerr that tweeted, um, was it a letter into the Racing Post um, yesterday? And it was from um, a 70-year-old uh, retiree who has no dependents. Um, has his own home. Um, oh no, sorry, actually, he said he sold his home and now rents a flat. Um, he's no dependents, never married. He has he does battle every day with uh, cancer, heart disease, and arthritis. <sighs> and his only two pleasures in life are watching Liverpool matches and betting on horse racing. And now that's he's finding that he can't get a bet on, even though because he obviously doesn't have uh, proof of income. But he could be a wealthy man, or he could have more than enough money to. Um, lose a couple of hundred pounds a week on, on his betting if he wanted to, and he enjoys it. Why shouldn't he be allowed to do it? Why should anyone have the right to stop him? 
Well, if somebody likes a drink, and if that person wants to go into the pub and get obliterated, like, if you know who that person is, you're probably going to reach out to them and say, listen, you need to get a hold of yourself, or you need to, to help that person in some way. But very few of us know somebody who is, like, completely spiraled out, and that we're the ones who have to help them. But we all know people who have struggled with alcohol. And yet, when you go to someone's house for dinner, you're probably bringing a bottle of wine with you. Like for my best friend for his birthday, vintage bottle of Jemson. Like we just we associate alcohol with fun and crack, and it's or having the crack, not crack, okay, uh, but having an enjoyable time. And some of us struggle with it. Some of us have um, addictive personality, and, and we can get a bit carried away with it. It doesn't mean that we all stop drinking. Now, you might work with somebody who has um, who's had a problem with alcohol. And so you might be reluctant to invite them to the pub after work. But at the same time, you might be thinking to yourself, well, I don't really want to exclude them. Um, and that person is probably going to be able to, to maintain that and, and overcome their addiction and, and drink soft drinks. The point I'm making here is backing you up, really. Like, I, I think it is bizarre that personal responsibility is just being erased from society as though it was never a thing and as though you have no control over yourself and everybody who bets on horse racing. This is how this is being framed. Or anybody who bets on anything, you're only one bet away from becoming a full-blown, spiraling, out-of-control addict. Well, you could say the exact same thing about anybody who drinks. You could say the exact same thing about anybody who smokes, that they're going to go out of control and smoke till they're dead, which they might do. Like, that can have a legitimate harm on on your body. We know the effects of smoking. We know the effects of alcohol on the body. They're not good. The government's not doing anything about that, as in they're not putting in financial restrictions on how much cigarettes you can buy. They're not turning around and saying, well, if you spend over 125 quid um, in 30 days on alcohol, we're going to do a light check on you to see if you can continue to do it, if you can afford to keep spending that money on alcohol. And if you spend two grand on alcohol in 90 days, you have to go through a full credit check, a very intrusive credit check, where we're not just going to be looking at uh, postcode salary averages or county court judgments. We will literally use personalized data from credit reference agencies, open banking consent, or manual provision of sensitive financial documents. We're going to go through all of that to see if you can still consume alcohol. That's not happening. Yes, if this thing goes through and they get away with it, it may very well. And yet the thing is with the, you could claim, well, not that you could claim, like smoking in moderation is still bad for you. Yeah. Like alcohol in moderation, well, it depends how moderate, what what the doctors call moderate and what I call moderate are pretty two different things, but... um, is probably okay, but a little bit more than that. Like alcohol does have an effect, a negative effect on, you know, if you go out, if you go out for a night out, you might only do it once every so often. So you could say it's in moderation, but you know, you still, you don't, you don't wake up the next day in the, in the fullness of health. So you could say it as a, a short term negative impact at the very least. Um, all of these gambling for the large, large majority of people is an enjoyable pastime. It doesn't have any negative impact. 
if most people bet and they might bet 50 pounds at the weekend, 50 euros at the weekend, they might win sometimes, they might lose sometimes. Even if they bet a couple of hundred and they lost sometimes and won sometimes, they're overall, you know, what they might lose over a year could be 25 pound a week or something like that. It's like it's like going to the cinema. Like you probably wouldn't even go to the cinema and buy some popcorn for that. Like, um, and it's their pastime. They actually enjoy putting, having an opinion, and then backing it with their own money. Like, there's absolutely no negative um, aspect to it at all. Only for a very, very tiny minority. And even if you're on about population-wise, why are they picking on gambling? Like, I think Gov.ie or Gov, sorry, Gov.uk estimated 0.5 percent of the population in the UK have a, have a gambling addiction, but like 25% of them of the population in the UK are regarded as obese. Like, is anyone checking how much sugary foods and donuts and everything that people are eating and saying, Oh, well, you can't do this because, because it's, it's a negative. Well, they're not like, because that wouldn't win them any votes, would it? So they're kind of picking on a, a minority industry to try and, Oh, well, look, we're doing something. And also it's because, of the people that are shouting the loudest that have that are anti-gambling and if you in the whole grand scheme of things it's it's only a small percentage of people that have that opinion but they shout an awful lot louder than the people that don't have it all excellent points and stuff that we've we've sort of mentioned on here in the past um particularly the the conversation about alcohol um a lot of British politicians don't gamble. I think the the popu- I think the percentage of the British population who bet or gamble is sixty four percent. Don't quote me on that figure. It's just that's rattling around at the back of my head. But that might apply to people who play the lotto because that's that is gambling. Right? You might not think that when you walk into the petrol station, you buy a quick pick that that's gambling, but it is. So it's classified as that. But it is a, a it is a large percentage of the British population that that does gamble and engages in betting. However, why is gambling the thing that's being targeted and not alcohol, as both of us have kind of insinuated? Well, the vast majority of UK politicians consume alcohol. The vast majority of them would like a drink. Very few of them actually bet. And Turkey. When you say they Christmas. don't gamble, though, when you say they don't gamble. Uh, do you think any of them would maybe uh, invest in the stock market? Oh, of course. So, but why is that an investment? But but why has that ever been the case? Like how to gamble the exact same way as as somebody like say somebody like me? Well, the difference the, the I, difference the difference, Declan, is that if a if somebody in if, if the great and the good invest in the stock market in the UK and the market collapses. We all have to bail them out. But if Declan Marr puts up a horse on Learn, Bet, Win, and you significantly invest in that horse, and that horse is very unlucky and gets beaten, ain't nobody bailing you out, son. No, that's, that's a true fact. Um, alcohol-related illnesses in the UK. Uh, so 4% of the British population shows signs of alcohol dependence. It's higher than that, actually. Um, but let's go with the one that Trish has just put up on the screen. So according to Public Health England in 2020, 4% of uh, British adults show signs of alcohol dependence. The cost for annual treatment of alcohol-related injuries or illness to the NHS is £3.5 billion per year. 
but let's go full on into a complete and total radical overhaul of gambling because those who bet cannot control themselves and are a risk to themselves and to others. But for alcohol, uh, yeah, you know, go and go. It's costing the annual, it's costing the already under pressure NHS 3.5 billion a year. But eh, don't worry about that. It's a, that's okay. Don't ask any questions about that. Just look at how awful gambling is. But alcohol, that's fine. Yeah, I, I don't really want this whole debate to be about how come they're allowing alcohol but not allowing um, gambling. It could because they should alcohol should be allowed as well. There shouldn't be any. I know it's good to give um, to use the comparisons to show how ridiculous the gambling thing is, but at the same time, you don't want it to go down that line of oh, let's ban alcohol because they banned gambling. You'll only be giving ammunition to the people that want everything banned. Um, you mean the the fun police captain bring down in the bus killers? Yeah, well, they'll like, come I for it after this. If this goes but through, they will, but that's but if, the only thing that gives their life meaning is to just try and stop other people having fun. Like they don't, they don't have fun themselves. Yeah, the um, the Karens that appear on Twitter being videoed just like yelling at people over absolutely nothing. It is, and and there are plenty of Kens out there as well. By the way, I'm just going to go with a K name, and the Barbie film is trending, so Ken comes to mind. Um, but there are plenty of men who will complain about the smallest didn't go things. watching that. I'm I'm being dragged to it, but I haven't seen it yet. I've managed to avoid it so far. Although you mentioned how much a cinema ticket is, uh, I can tell you that having gone to see Oppenheimer last week, it was fifty quid for the two tickets, two popcorn, two coke. So, if if I'm going to the Barbie film this week, oh dear, maybe I can get out of it, um, or or something like that's going to be another fifty quid. So, by virtue of uh, their classification of if you spend more than if you lose more than 125 quid uh, on gambling in 30 days, well, is it okay for me to spend 150 quid going to three different films with Katie? Mm, that's it, the thing. Who what gives them the right to decide what we spend the money on? But like, th- this is what worries me, Declan. Is that if this goes through and and if people don't stand up and speak for themselves and launch into a, a defense of this and say, look, this is not okay. Uh, this is a pastime. I engage in it. I study form for hours and hours and hours. I listen to various different podcasts. I'm watching television. You're paying for racing TV. You're paying for the racing post. This is a, a sport that the vast majority of people who listen to this podcast love dearly. It is their number one pastime. It's the thing they love more than any other sport. And they're going to be told by the government, not by a family member, not by uh, a friend. They're going to be instructed by the government yeah, you can't bet on this unless you can give us very sensitive information. Which, by the way, you have to give not to the government, but to a bookmaker, to a sports book, to a betting exchange, some of whom have been done for money laundering and other various different crimes. So, but imagine, so like- how, how safe is your data? But if, if we just, if we sleepwalk into this and this happens, how long is it going to be before the anti-alcohol brigade, the captain bring down the bus killers for that one, say oh, oh well home. you've it's, you've uh, done it for gambling it works there now you have to do it for alcohol yeah it'll come all right but how ridiculous would it be like say for instance um somebody probably retired wealthy sold their business so they don't actually have an income but they have multi-millionaire even tens of millions they buy a yearling for a million pounds at the sales <laughs> working well runs and it's uh running on its debut and new market 
and they tried that and they tried, they want to have three grand on it to win and all they can't do it. Yeah. Yeah. So you spent they've just spent you, a million quid on the off like. You spent a million quid at the sales to buy the horse and, and nobody no bat nobody bad an eyelid. And the whole thing happened last year with the guy coming in and spending like twenty million on horses. They didn't pay for them, yeah. <laughs> didn't pay a cent for them. But that's a great point to make. There is going to be a scenario where a leading British owner is going to have spent a million quid on a horse and decides, oh, I want to have two grand on this. No, you had two grand on a horse uh, 80 days ago. And you're, with, <laughs> yeah. you're within the 10-day threshold, so you got to submit. You've got to, you've got to submit to a background check in order to do this. Quick mention to the sponsor of today's episode, Venator Racing Social. They are the name to trust when thinking of attending horse racing abroad. The aim at Venator Racing Social is to make the world of horse racing more accessible, giving you access to horse racing holidays all over the world, ranging from the prestigious world-renowned festivals to the more unique but equally exciting race courses across the globe. At Venator Racing Social, they pride themselves on offering a bespoke service to all their clients, guaranteeing each and every customer an unforgettable horse racing experience with that personal touch. The team of dedicated racing and travel professionals have traveled the world attending race meetings and sporting events, endeavoring to bring their knowledge and experience to every package, thus giving you peace of mind that you'll be looked after every step of the way along with having access to the best restaurants and hospitality at each racecourse. Venator's huge range of horse racing holidays capture the imagination of racecores, syndicate members, and owners groups alike. So whether you're looking for a five-star gravy train with bells on luxury holiday or a more affordable trip, Venator Racing Social have all the options for everyone, including Irish Champions Weekend, the Arc de Triomphe Weekend, a Vienna weekend tour, which is something I'm hoping to go on. It's not really a racing trip. It's more of an equine trip. Incorporates a show and behind-the-scenes private tour of the Spanish Riding School and visits to the exquisite Christmas markets in Vienna. We fly out on Friday the 24th of November that morning. We fly back on Monday the 27th of November. And it sounds like it's going to be a brilliant, brilliant weekend. I'm really looking forward to that. Next year, they've got the Dublin Racing Festival covered, the St. Moritz White Turf Package. That would be magic. Uh, Cheltenham Festival, of course, and the Dubai World Cup. Now, is 2024 finally the year that I make it to Dubai and get to the Dubai World Cup? I know you're so anxious about that. That is your priority. Is Kennedy going to get to the Dubai World Cup? I don't know. But hopefully, hopefully next year is finally the year that I go. And who knows, maybe you will be there alongside me. Find out more at venator.co.uk. That's V-E-N-A-T-O-U-R.co.uk. Get a list at the full racing packages and indeed various different sporting packages as well. There's bespoke Formula One packages, rugby trips, cricket trips. But for us, it's all about the racing. You can check it all out at venator.co.uk. Tell them the final Forlorn podcast sent you. All right, back to the show. Let's look further in <laughs> into that, those proposals. So to conduct affordability checks, operators will seek financial data from credit reference agencies, primarily current account turnover, or Cato. Uh, while this approach may work for those with regular incomes, it poses challenges for the self-employed, retired, and, and company directors. Um, it, it does, of course. It's going to affect you. It would affect me because I'm, I'm uh, an independent contractor. I'm, I'm self-employed. Um, but it's going to affect, like, I know a lot of people who are retired who listen to this show. Um, and they love to go racing. 
and they love to play a bet those place the best and they love to to work out the puzzle of various different races um they're involved in syndicates like no one is saying to them hey you can't spend x amount of money per month you can't give 500 quid a month to the hot to trot syndicate uh because that's technically speaking that's gambling like no one's saying you can't do that but if they then want to go and place a bet it's it's not just that they have to prove to a bookmaker that they're able to bet. They're going to have to go through a full credit check. And something that Jeff Banks has pointed out is this appears on your credit rating. Like when anybody does a check like that, that doesn't just happen and there's nothing said about it. That appear to my understanding and what Jeff was saying, that appears on your on your credit check. So if you're going for a mortgage, um, and maybe you've been very clever and you don't actually have it, uh, any reference to a gambling company appearing on your website, maybe you've deposited money via Skrill or you've done it in, in other ways with legitimate bookmakers. Maybe you've uh, opened an account with a bookmaker in person and you deposit money into a shop. That's what I do. Um, so there's no actual digital trace uh, of it. You're still going to have to go through a credit check which then appears on your credit rating. Yeah, like if that's I I, I don't know the um, I think I remember seeing that somebody saying that, but I, I didn't. I never went about verifying it to see was it actually definitely true that that would be the case. Um, yeah, I don't think there's going to be any such thing as um, when they're on about these soft checks. They're really for such tiny amounts that everyone is going to go over them into the kind of a. Uh, the other checks that they want to do. Um, look, it's possible they might be a little bit better or easier for people that have like a, an income coming in every every month or every week into their account and that they mightn't have to then supply loads of bank statements and stuff like that. But I, I know myself just from having not deposited into my Bedford account in over a year, the questions they started asking me when I did um, and froze my account from putting money in was like absolutely absurd. Like they, they were just, I just laughed at them. They were actually so ridiculous. Like, so um, I just can't imagine too many people dealing with that sort of crap um, in order to do their pastime. By the way, you're based in Ireland. Yes. We're not supposed to be subject to these credit checks, not in, not in the way uh, that they are in, in Britain. You have, but you see, nobody is yet though, because they're not actually rules yet. But the the bookmakers have took it upon themselves the last year or two to start enforcing them to try and make it look like they're doing something. I suppose, but um, or at least that's the generous way of looking at it. Well, Canberry would argue and has said on the Final Forum podcast that this has been a, a, a massive. This is they have weaponized the affordability checks, which the former gambling minister uh, made a point of saying, we never told bookmakers to do affordability checks and we never told them to do the intrusive checks that they're doing now and we don't support them, which technically meant that they all should have just stopped straight away, but they didn't. And now the new gambling minister is proposing radical checks that, with a straight face. So something got lost in translation there somewhere along the lines, or maybe they just wanted to present to the, to the public, oh, it's not our fault. The government, we, we didn't do it. No, it was all the big bad bookmakers. Um, but Canberry has made the point a number of times, but including on this show, 
that it has been a way to weed out those who are good. It's a way to find out who the Canberries are, who the Declan Mars are, who's shrewd at this, and get rid of you. Um, I think most bookmakers have already got, uh, traditional bookmakers have already got rid of all of us. <laughs> it's only at, like exchanges I, would be my only way that I get a bet on. And I suppose if less reason to get rid of you, you're still paying a lot of money when they add in premium charges and everything like that as well. Like, so um, I'm not sure they actually need affordability checks to, to add to the, the, the ways they already get rid of people um, just by studying their betting patterns and and stuff like that. So I, I, I'm not sure I totally buy into that. I think they just got maybe a bit of a, a bit of a fright with a few uh, fines that were handed out. And like, let's face it, like for, for decades, they were totally irresponsible and morally bankrupt nearly the way they sought and went after people that, that clearly had issues. Like... <laughs> Um, and they didn't bat an eyelid to try and find out could they actually afford it, which it turns out was definitely a portion of people that couldn't. Um, but I think, and a lot of them cases, if you look back at the ones that actually made the headlines, they were people betting on casinos, not actually sports betting. Mm. And if you think about it, there's there's a massive difference between somebody sitting at home on their computer playing roulette or blackjack or something on a on an online um on an online account and somebody having a bet on a soccer match or having a bet at Goodwood today. Like one one person is actually pitting their wits against the bookmaker, taking an opinion, I think this horse is a good price. I want to you know, I think I'm gonna back him or I think Man United are a good bet. There there's actually some thought put into it. And there's a level of satisfaction from being proved right and actually putting your money down to back your opinion. What 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 does somebody get out of sitting playing a casino? Like I think straight away it nearly says addictive because I can't think of any other reason why you would do it. And even after saying that, I still don't think they should be banned and I still don't think there should be regulations. But I do think that if there was regulations, there has to be a difference between people who are actually enjoying their pastime of having a bet on sports and people who are there hitting the button with absolutely no skill and all they can ever do is lose money. There's a very big difference between those two groups of people. And yet under any of the proposals I've seen, they're going to be treated just the same. Yeah, I I agree with that. Abby and Andrew were on the show last week. They're running the Gamblers Consumer Forum and uh, they were explaining why they're advocating to not split Casino and sports bet, um, because I would very much have been in agreement not with you. Split it. Not split it. What was their logic behind that? Their logic is that if you split it now, it's only going to come back around the the next time because inevitably these rules are going to change at some point and and become even stricter than than they are even now. Um, and that if we were to say, well, let's have uh, two separate systems, one that oversees casino bets for exactly the reasons that you've outlined and one that oversees sports betting. Eventually, uh, let's say they just eliminate casino betting online entirely. Well, then it's going to be even easier for them to target sports betting. Uh, Ultimately, they feel it's best to keep the two products together 
and fight for both of them equally now, as opposed to splitting the two of them and then risking that both become major targets years down the line. And I, I get where they're coming from. I completely understand where they're coming from. I think I may have even agreed with them on the show that, that I did with them recently in the last couple of weeks. Listen, I'm I'm Hippocrates. I am literally Hippocrates. Uh, I would argue, and, and maybe this is a selfish thing, because I don't bet on casinos online. It doesn't interest me at all. And I'm kind of afraid that if I did engage in it, I think the worst elements of me would come out in that. And I don't really trust myself with it, quite frankly. So researching form, studying that, uh, and betting on horse racing, that's what I'm interested in. That's what I like to do. and That's what I'd like to focus on. So in some ways, I don't really care if casino betting uh, ends up getting banned online or thrown to the wolves. But I can see their logic in trying to keep the two together. But I can also see the argument that, no, they should not be. They should absolutely be separated. And there should be a complete distinction made between fixed odds betting and something that is skill-based where the markets are very, very liquid. Yeah, I think there comes a point when you have to save yourself. And as you said, I don't really care about the online uh, casino business either. So if it was a choice of going down with them or using the lifeboat, I'd use the lifeboat because it's a lot easier to make arguments as to why uh, sports betting is not um, is not harmful to the large majority of people. I would find it harder to make arguments that um, sitting at home hitting hitting uh, the roulette button fifty or sixty times an hour has any positive um, or even enjoyment benefits. Like how can you enjoy something you're guaranteed to lose on? Um, yeah, I totally get why people would go to a casino and do it because there's a social aspect to it. Um. And also, it would actually take longer to lose the same amount of money for the same amount of, um, uh, say, if you're betting on a blackjack, for instance, the, the hand will take a lot longer in the casino than it will when you're sitting at home, when everything will be in a fast motion. Um, I find it harder to make arguments for it, and I definitely think they should be split for that reason, because let them argue their own case and let sports betting argue their case. If I still don't think that online casinos should be banned, but... I don't really want to go down with them either. I, I think maybe the, the fair thing to say here is that if these affordability checks are going to come in, I don't have any objection to them for casino betting, but I have a major objection to them for, for sports betting. And we can argue, I think both of us have, that there is a fundamental difference between the two um, and, and how both are structured. However, you risk throwing the baby out with the bad water. And maybe we are at a point where we just have to defend both. Um, I'll ask Abby about it. Abby's on the show again. It's either this week to come out next week or next week to come out next week. What are, I'll let Trish figure out what that is. But I'll put that to her again. Because um, I know that they've got a lot of blowback on that. There's, there's A lot of people are very supportive of the Gamblers Consumer Forum. They're very pleased to see somebody standing up to actually advocate for punters because that's one of the things in all of this that has been completely lost the uh, book and and I'm I'm naive right I'm incredibly naive Declan because I interviewed Philip Davies who is a lovely man I don't agree with everything Philip has to say but I re- I really appreciate him and he's one of the few MPs who actually understands the world of gambling and actually understands betting his family ran a bookmakers he knows this sport inside out and he knows how important 
the freedom to be able to place a bet on horse racing is, and he loves the sport. Um, I interviewed him in April of last year. At the time, we thought the gambling white paper was coming out at the end of May 2022. doesn't emerge until a year later in April 2023. So this whole thing has been unbelievably long drawn out. But um, he was making some very cogent arguments and very coherent arguments about um, how to defend this uh, against the the impending changes. Um and, and we were warning about it even back then. And I would make reference to an interview I did with, with Matt Sarb cousin, which I was very taken with Matt uh, very early on. I still am. I, I've, I strongly disagree with him, but I think he makes, I think he's very well-spoken. He's very intelligent. Um, and he is a, a real trailblazer in, in campaigning against um, sports books and uh, not so much sports books, sorry, uh, campaigning against gambling firms. And, what I was really taken with in Matt's fight was that this is somebody who was addicted to FOPTES, was on the brink of suicide, was attempting to commit suicide when his parents just got to him in time and saved his life. And he was driven to that through to an addiction to FOPTES. And what I thought was what I thought was worth highlighting, platforming him, speaking to him, uh, and, and giving him the opportunity to speak more about it was that Anybody who bets on horse racing could very easily stumble into FOPTIs in a betting shop in the UK or, or get lost in uh, casinos, um, uh, online casinos. How many times have you received uh, uh, an email from a sports book or an email from a betting exchange telling you that they're going to limit you on such and such or if you don't, su- don't supply this information, you're not going to be allowed to place a bet. And then a few minutes later or the next day, you'll get an offer from their casino. Here's a few free spins, come play. Um, and that stuff really worries me. Uh, because it's designed, it is designed to fire off the reptile parts of our brain. Um, and he spoke very eloquently about his fight against Fopties, about how he became addicted to them, what it was that drew them to him, how he became obsessed with them. His entire life was about playing the Fopties. Nothing else really mattered until it was too late and he couldn't see any way out and thought that the only way out was a permanent solution to a temporary problem. And thankfully, he managed to overcome that. Now, what is worrying is Matt has completely turned his focus now into sports betting. And now it all has to go. And that's really concerning to me because I can completely see and and understand how he became so obsessed with casino betting, FOBTs, and his fight against them and taking on the big, powerful lobbyists and the big, powerful, big, bad bookmakers and getting uh, restrictions, deposit restrictions or uh, restrictions put in place to ensure that it's only a pound a go now as opposed to somebody being able to put in a hundred quid for every spin at the time. Like that's, that's crazy and it's good that he got that done. And I appreciate what he did and, and the fight that he put in there. What I can't understand is how Matt has now turned around and decided the whole thing has to go. So... Well, maybe... Maybe now he's got addicted to uh, attention. Um, there's, I think that's a fair criticism. I think it's a very fair criticism to make. Um, I don't get it. And I was under the impression from Matt at the time that he understood the difference between a recreational bet um, that can come from informed study and form, uh, form basis 
and betting on a liquid market where the odds fluctuate as opposed to uh, a game where the house always wins. And it's. I remember it doesn't even have to be informed because it's <laughs> like if somebody goes, say I, I play golf and one of the guys at the club is going to Galway um, today and he asked me for one or two tips like, but he's going to go down to Galway, probably betting all seven or eight races. Some of it might not be very informed, but they're going to have a few drinks, have a few bets, have some fun. They get to watch a race, even a five running sprint takes over a minute, all the way up to the Galway plate and races which take a lot longer. Um, there's only seven, eight races over three, three and a half hours. It's a whole day's entertainment, and he'll have a few bets, like. Compare that to somebody now betting on online or on them slot machines in the bookies or whatever. Like they're just hitting button after button after button. They have they could be going through thousands of bets in a day, all totally uninformed, monotonous, boring, waiting for some thing to tell you whether you won or lost, but absolutely no skill. Yeah. Like what are, what are the people getting out of that? And if they are getting. I would suggest, like, without any, re- like, uh, only my own opinion, but I cannot see how it is not displaying a lot of um, addictive behaviors that somebody is more addicted to the win-lose than the actual entertainment, because I don't see what the entertainment could possibly be. Yeah, I think that's very fair. And, and look, I, I've had this debate before on Twitter, and people have fought back at me and said, hey, I like to play roulette online. I like to play online blackjack. Like, don't be having a go at us. And that's fine. If you do, that's great. I'm, I'm sure you're doing it responsibly, and I'm sure you're having a lot of fun with it. Um, but there are... the I, I would argue, and I think Declan would as well, and we both are, that the vast majority of people who are full-blown gambling addicts, they're trying to get the rocks off on anything. And the, the easiest thing to bet on is casinos. Like, the easiest thing to yeah. bet on. The reality is... If you're, even if you're an addict, you might become good at it. And if you are good at it, you're probably going to get restricted. Like, you're probably going to get stops from betting on horse racing. How much of those controls do they implement on casino bets? You know, how many times do they, do they step in and say, you have to spend a 90 quid there on the casino in the last 20 minutes. It wouldn't even take that long for a roulette. You know, maybe you need to take a little bit of a step back there. Um... Yeah, it's it, it's it is deeply concerning, and I think splitting the two is, is something that should be argued uh, a bit further. It certainly deserves a longer conversation. Um, I'm probably more on the side that it should be split. I'm trying to remember exactly why Abby uh, and Andrew. I'll, I'll let them both explain next week as to why it's so important to keep the two together. I remember at the time being very taken with their argument. Um, but we can we can delve into that again. Um, Lee Motta said has written about this as well. The Racing Post have gone full on on this. There's a part of me. I don't know, people are going to think I absolutely loathe the Racing Post, um, and maybe I do. Uh, but there's a part of me that feels as though it's great you're doing this now. But this is the first of August, and these articles are coming out. Like, why was this stuff not being written back in May when the white paper was published? Why did you? It, it's almost as though they've woken up now and realized, oh shit. The Racing Post is done if this thing goes through. It's game over for the Racing Post 
if these affordability checks go through. Like that is the end of it because all of their advertising is is, um, is bookmaker funded. Every single thing they do. There might be a one or two bloodstock firms. Ten years ago, the Racing Post had a fairly diverse advertising portfolio. Not anymore. Um, but anyway, Tom wrote a brilliant article. Lee wrote an excellent article as well. And fair play to them. They've taken up the baton now and they're fighting now. And I really appreciate that. But in it, Lee Motter said, makes reference to a recent Racing Post special report highlighting the concerns about the Gambling Commission's allocation of funds to organizations involved in treating problem gambling without ensuring proper usage, which is just genius. Uh, whistleblower allegations further raise questions about money misappropriation in the sector. Moreover, the Commission's proposals for reform regarding affordability checks reveal a total lack of understanding of betting behavior. And instead of asking you about is there corruption in there? Uh, have they been siphoning off funds? Uh, again, alleged, and it's all in that Racing Post article. But for you, as a professional better who spends every single day looking at betting markets and who would know what the Gambling Commission does, do the Gambling Commission actually understand betting? And are they running this in a way that makes sense to you or that you can look at and say, yeah, there's a bit of logic to that? Um. To be honest, no, I don't think they understand gambling. I don't think anyone I don't think anyone that could that understands gambling could come out with their proposals that they've come out with to uh, regulate it because it shows an absolute total ignorance of so many aspects of gambling. So many it doesn't cover it doesn't in any way it's it's like one I come up with this little rule of all and a few figures but where did they get them from they couldn't possibly explain their logic behind them because there isn't any um they're showing an absolute ignorance of variance because the 90 day thing and not including previous winnings the one day like no i don't think they understand gambling at all um although i think people who come up with rules in general just maybe i think maybe it's for part of society people they just give the people the people that haven't aren't the sharpest to come up with rules because uh, no matter what aspect of life you think of, when they're given a whole lot of rules that we have to follow, the people making them don't seem to have a don't seem to um, have taught them through very well. Um, even this morning, I get a I ordered I had a Tesco delivery and I got a ordered a loaf of bread, like a loaf of bread, and you know the way you're allowed to substitute things if you if they don't have the one you want, like have the box tick for that. And the delivery comes and the, the bread has um, no appropriate substitute. <laughs> I'm there to the driver, what? There's no fucking bread in the whole shop. And he just looks at me and goes like, yeah, that's, that's the, so that's some algorithm that somebody wrote or somebody making a decision that, you know, any loaf of bread would not, would be better than nothing or deciding that it wouldn't be. Um, so I don't know. I don't have much faith in people who make rules. I mean, stay away from me with that soda bread shit, but like, you're telling me yeah, they couldn't like, get a different slice pan? A, a baguette? A baguette? Oh, <laughs> no suitable substitute. Deary me. Um, yeah, I mean, look, you, you do wonder at all of this, and I, I think that this is my final question for you then. If the British government came out and said... Prohibition on gambling. Outlawed, banned, it's done. There would be uproar. 
There'd be uproar from everybody who listens to this show. There would be uproar from people who are indifferent to gambling, who don't care about it. They would be offended by that. And there would be riots on the streets of the UK. So that's not something you can do. You can't just come straight out in this day and age and ban something. But what if you wanted to ban gambling? You know you can't come straight out and say that. So you implement a series of rules that make it so unpalatable that the consumer just goes, can't be bothered. I'm going to go do something else. And that's how you get rid of people from betting. That's how you push people away from gambling. You don't outright ban it. You just make it pretty unpalatable. You make it really not even inconvenience because this is, this is what this was being sold as initially. The Matsarb cousins of the world were saying, it's just going to be a minor inconvenience. This is not a minor inconvenience. This is a major intrusion into your privacy, into your ability to conduct your own financial affairs. And we're all very private people. This is not privacy. This does not respect you. This is basically pushing you away. So, is this overreach? Or is this a massive psyop where they have deliberately concocted a way to push us all away from gambling so that we think we're making the decision for ourselves, but in actual fact, it's just a really clever way to ban it? Uh, no, I wouldn't think so, because I think you're giving them too much credit. <laughs> uh, one, that they would actually concoct something uh, clever enough to do it, but two, politicians by like 99.9% of them don't care about anyone but themselves. They don't care about the, the impassioned speeches they give about this, that, and the other. They don't really give a shit about it. All they do, all, the only reason they're doing it is to pretend that they care. And like I'd say this is just another pretend we care about it. They, I don't doubt they really care about whether gambling is there, banned or not. I'd say what they do care about is they'll jump on the odd bandwagon here or there that they think is an easy target and go along with it. So like people like Matt campaigning against gambling and other people as well, they pretty just see it as an easy win. Well, okay, we'll, uh, we'll go along with these. These are shoot, shouting very loud. We'll, uh, we'll, uh, we'll go along with it. And I think probably politicians in general are overestimating um, the silent majority that they actually think because the people that are against these type of things are shouting so loud that like, look at these animal rising nut jobs. Like look at the amount of media attention they've got. Like their, their organization is tiny, absolutely tiny. They, I think back like six months ago before the whole entry thing kicked off, like they only had a couple of hundred followers on, on Twitter. Like mm. I don't know how many they have now, but like they're, they're getting on Sky News and everything, and they're a bunch of absolute lunatics. Like they haven't, they, they posted a picture. I seen it on Twitter last week on their um, on their Twitter feed of a horse. Saying they gave it a name and said, "Oh, look at Bobby, a nineteen-year-old uh, who was rescued from um, a race a racing stable, and look at him now enjoying life to the fullest." The horse was absolutely malnutritioned. They should have been arrested for the state the horse was in. And yet these gobshites are posting a fucking picture of it, like, like, and and their followers, they just they're just stupid people, like, who are brainwashed into this, um, just another like campaign that they can uh, jump on and oh we'll campaign for this campaign for that, like most of the people 
doing all of this campaigning and shooting their mouth off haven't got a clue what they're talking about. Well, they're and very. Most of the they're, people they're following haven't got a clue what they're talking about. Yeah, they're very good at reaching out to people who really want a virtue signal. I'm a good yeah, they person. Just, they just, yeah, they yeah, I'm a good person. I'm a decent the, person, and these horses are being forced into racing. Oh, it's shameful behavior. Absolutely shameful behavior. And when you engage with their followers, like their followers will lie to you. Like I have said to to be, I, I don't really do it anymore. Um, I recorded a show with Mahan O'Brien, who's a philosopher. Uh, I think it's coming. Is it coming out this week or next week? Um, it's it's been locked and loaded in Spotify for a while. Um, but we break down the philosophy. I say Mahan breaks down the philosophy of Animal Rising's supporters. And it's a really interesting listen. Um, and I, and I would obviously push everybody to listen to it as soon as it comes out. But I engaged with a number of their followers um, on on Twitter who were like basically viewing you and me and everybody listening to the show as demons. We're horrible people because we support the cruel sport that forces horses to race. And when I said to them, so what's your viewpoint on Animal Rising's overall goal, which is to ban the breeding of racehorses, which inevitably leads to the extinction of the breed? And their supporters either don't answer you because they're shocked at that, or they'll say, they've never said that. They've never said that. That's not what they believe. That's Why would you make that up? Actually, they actually have. They and then you send them that. a link to uh, Orla Coughlin or whoever it happens to be, uh, Alex Lockwood, all of these people um, on Talk TV, on GB News, on Good Morning Britain saying that exact thing. And those people shut up real quick then. And that that's what I think is very interesting about Animal Rising because either one of two things has happened. Either the game is up and people realize that, oh, these people are not sound of mind. Like... These people are crazy. Like one of their supporters, one of their um, mouthpieces literally said to me uh, on Twitter in an exchange, well, what would be so bad about the equine thoroughbred being wiped from existence? I'm paraphrasing now, but he said, the equine thoroughbred is riddled with uh, genetic flaws, like breathing issues and physical frailties. And so we'd almost be doing them a favor. And in any case, it's not like horses will be gone from existence because there'll still be wild horses in existence. This is literally something that person who claims to love animals, claims to to want to protect animals, this is literally something he said. You can excuse the extinction of the thoroughbred breed because there's genetic frailties and also there'll still be wild horses. One of the most beautiful animals in the world. I mean, that is a staggering level of sociopathic behavior that you think it is perfectly acceptable to wipe a creature from the face of the earth because there's another creature that's kind of related to it that that'll still exist so that'll be okay i don't think you can debate with people like of that like they're just just can't you can't debate with somebody that stupid like it's just not possible yeah and and it's either that the game is kind of up and the general public have realized yeah these people are crazy like we're not we're not down with that at all or they've become so distracted with just stop oil, because they're heavily involved in that oh, as well. Another bunch of fucking loons. <laughs> well, Orla Coughlin proudly talks about the fact that she is uh, fundamentally key to Animal Rising's campaigns, but also just stop oil. And these these people interchange between both. They're heavily involved in both. And that whole just stop oil thing. Do you know? 
like climate change is real. That's very obvious. Uh, I think this is the hottest month on record, or July was the hottest month on record. And there is there was some blowback on that. Um, it, it turned out that there was a a piece of information that went out that there were two days in the month of July that were the hottest on record. Turns out they had measured them not with air temperature, but they'd measured them with ground temperature, which is not the same thing. But look at the wildfires, look at the craziness that is happening around the world. Like, it is very clear that the climate is changing. Um, they're yelling, like the establishment are yelling at you, they're yelling at me, they're yelling at everyone who listens to this show, you got to change your ways. You got to protect, you got to look after your carbon footprint and think about what you're putting out there. Carbon footprint, a term that was invented by BP, British Petroleum, to cover their own ass. And we all use it now. Um, but, uh, and again, I firmly believe that climate change is absolutely real. Do you know that we have burned and used more oil this year than in the history of mankind? So they're telling so you. They're More telling of everything you this year than yeah, in the history but, of mankind. But they are telling you, oh, um, I think it's sixty-five thousand Olympic swimming pools could be filled every single day by the amount amount of oil that is being used on planet Earth this year. So they're telling you you gotta change and you gotta uh, look after your carbon footprint, everyone's gotta drive electric, um, rolling blackouts might become a thing, blah blah blah. Meanwhile, literally the climate czar of America, John Kerry, is flying to these things in a private jet owned by his wife. And then lying about that to Congress and saying, how dare you say that I've, I've never, I don't fly in a private jet. I've never personally owned a private jet. Really interesting answer. Really interesting way of phrasing that. And then when it's put into the record, didn't your wife, here's, a, here's an article from the New York Times, your wife just sold her private jet. Oh, yes, my wife owned a private jet. It's like, they don't... <laughs> Like just stop oil are are doing this whole campaign about we need to change our ways. We need to, they're not the government aren't doing it, the establishment aren't doing it, the major elites aren't doing it, but we're supposed to do it. So when they're blocking the roads for people who are trying to get to work or trying to get to a medical emergency, maybe just focus your attention on the government themselves. Make it awkward for politicians to do their work. Stand outside their offices and harass them all day, and don't harass the public. Let the people actually get about their lives and get on with their work, as opposed to just bullying everyday citizens. Go and turn that attention onto the government themselves. Go and turn that attention onto the the media elites. Um, go and, and stand outside the government buildings uh, and harass them all day. But that would actually be somewhat useful. And Just Stop Oil appear to be just a, a, an incredible bunch of Probably well-meaning, but attention-seeking attention seeking narcissists who would rather do something that is simple as opposed to actually doing something that would be effective. Yeah, I got a bit off topic, but yeah, I, they're mostly driven by the same reasons and the same people that are against the gambling industry are either massively biased or looking for attention. And the people that are biased are, oh, I had a problem with gambling, so therefore everyone else is going to have one. Well, not really. It's a bit like fucking, what was it, um, Bruce Millington in the Racing Post saying the section of timing was uh, worthless because he doesn't understand it. Well, there's loads of people that do understand it. 
and know how to use it. It's like, oh, I don't, so therefore nobody can. That's like, that's very um, self-centered that you think just because something happened to you, therefore it's going to happen to everyone else or that they're going to have the same way of dealing with it or experiencing it. It's really funny how the mind works because the second you mentioned Bruce Millington and you started to, to use him as a reference point to prove a point, my brain instantly went to, of all the people you could lean on, why are you going to quote Bruce Millington? And then you started to do it in a sarcastic way. Ah, like, oh, yeah, okay, that's why. Yeah, but we get it. I get it now. Um, but initially, initially, my brain was, my spider senses were tingling with a, this is dubious. Why would you quote anything Bruce Millington said? Which, well, I think he just popped into my head because we were talking about the Racing Post and their lack of um, uh, effort in the campaign to, uh, over this, this gambling stuff. And then suddenly they're jumping on that bandwagon. But, um, so I think it was uh, that was why that particular one came to mind. Well, I, I mean, listen, fair play to them. I'll say this. Fair play to Tom and, and to Lee. They are doing it now. And I think Bill Barber has wrote some really good stuff on it as well. But this is stuff that could have been done back in... We were doing it. We were doing it in April of last year. Um, they could have led from this. They've got a big reach. Um, and it's probably just self-preservation because... The figure I have from 2018, this is from a current affairs show I was doing in 2018, um, the circulation for print media in the United Kingdom in 2018 was down 20% year on year, forecast to continue that spiral. What was really worrying, though, was that revenue was the same. Revenue was declining in print media 20% year on year. The person who was making that point on Sky News was saying it's basically seven years of print media left max that was 2018 it's 2023 and there's been a global pandemic where nobody was buying newspaper so that entire business model is dead um i bought a newspaper the other day from my uncle i've bought one i've bought a newspaper twice in the last month two weeks apart it wasn't for me it's for my uncle paddy down in waterford i haven't bought a newspaper aside from my subscription to The Times, The Independent, and The Guardian. I'm an enigma. Uh, and to The Racing Post as, as well. I do give them money every single month. Um, I don't buy uh, a newspaper, as in a physical copy. Have you Have you bought one recently? No, like I think now a, a physical copy of a newspaper is basically yesterday's news today. Yeah, that's a great point. Because if, whereas, if you're boarding a plane and you're reading The Guardian, you are literally reading yesterday's news. Whereas if you're reading The Guardian on your iPad, at least you're reading it right now yeah no i don't yeah that's definitely an industry it's not to say that um they can't evolve and make money online i'm sure some of them already are so but um the actual uh physical part of it obviously is going to die to die out i would imagine yeah it's kind of scary um the guardian are constantly asking you nearly every article you click on they're asking you to donate to them um so the, the problem is now everyone wants everyone yeah that is a problem like i think at the start with even with especially with gambling and stuff like that, like so, say even websites like mine and like I went and put up the whole bookmaker affiliate um, stuff on the website, and I just like I was I actually wasn't making much money on it because most of them were were, um, were profit share agreements, and the people following my tips were making money, so they weren't actually losing money. <laughs> um, so I was actually wasn't making anything, but like you wouldn't I. I never felt comfortable with it anyway that 
the only way I could make money was um, that the people I'd be sending to the bookmaker would be losing it. Like, um, and I think that was then a lot of free content because people were pushing people, you know, they had affiliate uh, deals with different things, even people doing reviews for stuff like Amazon or whatever, or these influencers are, are pretending they, you know, like this product. It's only recent times. I think they maybe have to put up that it's actually an advert, but like for years they didn't. And they basically are just leading people into thinking that this product is something that they use to make themselves look beautiful or whatever, but they're not using it at all. And they're actually making money from saying it. Mm. Um, and then, but, but people, we got into this culture then of because there was people making money on the side like this by offering their advice, which wasn't really much advice. Um, they got into this, we all got into it that we didn't want to pay for anything. So we actually, there was so much free content that we didn't want when we then didn't want to have to, uh, maybe when some of them avenues weren't as lucrative, definitely not the affiliate ones for bookmakers and that now definitely aren't as lucrative because it's much more heavily regulated. Um, people don't want to actually go and then pay for something because they now think that, oh, well, I can still get this for free, but the free stuff is often garbage-like. Yeah, very much so. Um, I'm trying to remember how much... I think the Washington Post lost a... It's either... This is wildly different. It's either 100 million or it's a billion this year. It's lost. Uh, let's say 100... Let's be generous to Jeff Bezos. Let's say it's 100 million they lost. Um, the problem with that is that Bezos bought the Washington Post 10 years ago with the whole thing of we're going to make it a multimedia digital company and it's going to generate huge amounts of cash and it's going to be this, that, and the other. It's a, it's just losing money hand over fist. And that's one of the most famous publications in the world. Streaming sites. Um, Disney Plus surpassed expectations for subscriber targets within one year of existence. They hit their five-year goal in the first year, probably helped by the pandemic um, it became the second biggest streaming site in the world. It slipped, I think, to third now. Uh, it's losing over a billion dollars a year. The only streaming site that's actually making money is Netflix. And the amount of debt that Netflix Netflix have would make you weep. It's like, it would make your head spin. So even the whole uh, race to get into the streaming game, whereby every major... Uh, media conglomerate and studio decided we've got to have a streaming site. Amazon Prime, Netflix, Apple TV Plus, I think that makes money. Uh, it's one of the few that, that actually does. Paramount Plus is losing close to a billion a year. Um, Amazon is losing a huge amount of money. And the, the overall consensus there is, again, people don't want to pay for it. Like We want the content, but we're used to being able to watch stuff on YouTube for free. And we're used to being paying Sky a subscription or whatever your cable TV provider happens to be, whether that's Virgin, you're used to paying them a monthly fee. You don't really want to go and pay extra money to Paramount Plus, to Apple TV Plus, to Amazon Prime, and to Netflix. Um, so that that whole model's not going to work. And that's got to change as well. And it's going to be, a, this is a fascinating time for media because it's going to be really interesting to see who of the legacy brands actually is still standing at the end of all this? Like, is the Times going to survive all of this? Probably. Will the Guardian survive it? Probably, but they're going to have to change drastically. And they already are. Like, the Guardian was very much a leftist, uh, liberal publication. 
And if you were to ask me that in 2018, 2019, I'd say, I don't know. I read that every day. I don't really get the impression that that's it. Now, I'm, I am middle of the road. I am very much a, a liberal in terms of my political ideologies. Uh, there's bits from the right I like. There's bits from the left I like. I take a little bit from, from all. Um, but I'm, I'm a mix in terms of my political ideologies. I read The Guardian now, and it's just gone full woke. Like, there is articles in the racing section that are not presented as comment or opinion pieces. They're presented as fact. And it's literally a former work writer talking about, this is a headline in, in the Guardian's racing section. What do horses feel on Kentucky Derby Day? Fear and dread. You don't know that. You, you might have seen some really dark things and you might have seen some pretty horrendous things and American racing can be very questionable at times, but you don't know that that's what horses are feeling. And yet that article was presented as though it was fact in amongst, and the amount of negative stuff that The Guardian have written about racing, giving a platform to Animal Rising, by the way, to the Alex Lockwoods of this world and letting them write articles. Admittedly, they were under comment, but it's really interesting to see the BBC, The Guardian, and others target this sport in a negative manner. And it's really interesting to see the changes that are happening in these legacy brands. Like, look at look at Sky. Look at Sky Sports Racing. Heavily involved in producing editorial content for horse racing. Like, the, the Sunday Forum was the show on At The Races. It became the racing debate. Gone. And we were told that was coming back. There's no sign of it coming back. Uh, anything that was editorial is basically gone from Sky Sports Racing. It's all bookmakers, afternoon, greyhound service, racing from America, racing from Hong Kong, just racing, 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 racing. Betting product after betting product after betting product. The editorial content, not there anymore. Now look at Racing TV. They are producing editorial content. So there's a creative decision-making process within Sky that in order to sustain, that's what they have to do just produce content for you to bet on, not produce content that is editorial. And I think one of those things will succeed and the other won't. And I'm pretty certain racing TV are on the right side of that. Yeah, I suppose it's the same with all of the industry is where is the funding coming from for an awful lot of stuff? And like it ends up with being bookmakers. So um, it's hard to know what you could what yeah. you can do about that. And listen, we all, we got to work with them, um, you know, and, and I think the vast majority of betting companies that I've worked with, I would speak very, very highly of. Uh, I might have had, uh, I've had uh, issues with the customer service at Paddy Power. Um, I, I had issues with that account just being closed out of nothing. There have been other bookmakers accounts that have been shot that I felt was quite unfair. I think I've spoken about that at the time on the show, but, you, know, you have you have deals with um, profit share deals with uh, various different bookmakers through your site. That's never something. No, I don't. I haven't done that in ten years. I, ten years I, yeah, I, but I, what what it means? You were doing it. You felt uncomfortable with it. I get that because that's been offered to us. No, that's I don't want that because I would feel terrible. I feel bad enough anyway if I put a horse up on the show and it gets beaten, and that's most of the time, Declan. Quite frankly. Um, uh, ancient Rome going and winning was like once in a once in a blue moon, but hey, a broken clock twice a day and all that malarkey. Uh, but I don't feel good about that. I would rather just, it would probably be worth an awful lot more to us. It's never something I've engaged in. It's not really what I want to do. It's just a direct sponsorship agreement for a flat fee. That's it. 
Um, that's what that's the agreement that, that we work on, and we're currently in negotiations on that now. Um, and look, the vast majority of those betting companies, they appreciate their customers. They're trying to do what's right for their consumers. They're trying to do what's right for their shareholders. You have a moral obligation to make as much money as you possibly can for your shareholders. If you don't do that, it's fiduciary responsibility. You get in trouble for that. Um, I think some of these companies are being pushed down a very, very awkward path as well. What I find odd about it from some is they don't really seem to be fighting this. And I don't know why that is. I don't know why there aren't too many independent or, or major conglomerate betting companies who are standing up and saying, I don't think this is actually fair for our customers. And maybe they feel that in this society, in this day and age, they can't actually make that argument, that if they make that argument, maybe they're being advised, if you say publicly that these restrictions on customers is um, a severe breach, is a severe government overreach and an infringement on their freedoms, it's going to look like you're just trying to make as much money for yourself. But I think we'd all appreciate one of them actually standing up and saying, hey, well, we don't know about this. Yeah, you would imagine they are lobbying in the background at the very least. Oh, yeah. And they are very good at that. They are very, very good at that. Um, if the British government or the Gambling Commission could take any single piece of advice from Declan Marr on this, if there was one thing that you could push through most of all, what would it be? Um. Well, at the very least, analyze the proposals and well, analyze them properly, not just not just reading what the gambling commission are telling you, because they obviously haven't done much thinking at all, and actually think about them and realize how how stupid they are. Basically, like they don't make any sense to listen to the people who are pointing out the flaws in them and uh, the reasons why they won't work. Um, because they just like, I don't think there should be any rules. I think people should be allowed to do what they want, but at the very least, if they're going to come up with some rules, have somebody making them that has a clue, basically. Use your brains. Yeah, it would be a start. Isn't it amazing that the gambling white paper, and it has been kicked around to various different ministers, and the prime minister changed once every 10 days there for a while, it was like pass the parcel kind of job, uh, and musical chairs in terms of who was actually going to get that position. And that's obviously going to cause upheaval in the various different departments. But fundamentally, the senior civil servants are the ones who are working on this. It is quite staggering that this was supposed to come out in May of last year. It doesn't come out until this year. And there's no... This was something I was, I was saying earlier on and I got distracted because I tend to do that. I was incredibly naive with this. And it was something I was saying to Philip Davis. I genuinely thought the gambling white paper was going to stand up for, for us punters. I genuinely thought there was going to be a section in it that said, bookmakers have had it too easy for too long. Uh, you've restricted customers for way too long. People should have the right to have their bet taken. And we want to implement the Australian policy of minimum bet guarantees. And so you have to, you must lay a bet uh, to a single customer to lose a thousand pounds. There's nothing of that ilk in there. There is nothing there in the gambling white paper that stands up for the punter, that stands up for the consumer, that stands up for your right to place a bet, that fights for you to be able to be able to take advantage of the 
the prices that bookmakers advertise. And it is entirely reasonable that um, a bookmaker would limit Declan Maher. Declan Maher is a pro punter. Like Declan Maher lives and breeds this stuff. And he might see, um, you might see a price that is just a rick and you're in really quickly. I can get why they would limit you. I don't get, and I don't think it's right, by the way, I think you should be able to place bets, but I don't get why that same thing is done to Final Four on podcast listeners. To somebody who's listening to this show who thinks, oh, you know what, that 10 to 1 is pretty big, I want to have 20 quid on that, and is told, no, sorry, sir, or sorry, ma'am, you can't have 20 quid on that horse at 10 to 1, you can have two pounds at even money. That game that gets played, that's deeply unfair. It's really, it's a really nasty game to play. And I was full sure there would be some kind of minimum bet guarantee enforced on, on the sports books. Nothing like that. There's nothing at all for the consumer in this, except for demonizing the whole lot of us. Oh, you're a gambler. You gamble. Therefore, you are at risk of addiction. And neither of neither Declan or I are minimizing that. Gambling can be very destructive. But the notion that we're all susceptible to it and that every single one of us can become a gambling addict, well, that goes back to the comparison with alcohol then. Anybody who drinks alcohol could be an alcoholic. Therefore, limit the whole thing. And that's my overall concern with this. My, my overall concern is you're going to target this industry, you're going to hammer this one. Well, how long is it before you're going into other sections of society and doing the exact same thing? How long before you're coming and telling us, yeah, you've spent... 125 quid on alcohol this month, uh, you got to submit a background check in order to be able to go and drink more alcohol. It's it's madness and very, very infuriating. Yeah, like, I agree. Like, there's not really much more to be said. Other than... Go to the shop. Other I than... I better go to the shop and buy some bread. <laughs> uh, Consult.gamblingcommission.gov.uk. It's a mouthful. So we'll tweet out a link to it. We'll put it in the episode description as well. But that is where you can go onto that website. Um, it is open until the 18th of October, 2023. You can let the Gambling Commission know you're not okay with this. You're not happy about this. You're not okay with it. Um, affordability checks to a certain extent, maybe for the protection of those who are vulnerable, but this, this is crazy. Consult.gamblingcommission.gov.uk. We'll tweet out a link and put it in the episode description as well. Declan Mar, uh, Learn, Bet, Win is the website. I'm, I'm assuming you're at full tilt for Galway and Goodwood. Yeah, very busy because uh, it's like it's it's two big meetings on the same week. It would actually be be very rare. I suppose there is no other part of the calendar where you'd have that many. Um, like Goodwood is five days, Galway is seven. Now I probably don't bet as much at Galway as Goodwood because I bet mostly on the flat. But there's still some very competitive handicaps and stuff at Galway, so that you'd like to look at. So it's it's a very busy week, all right. Yeah, for sure. Um, I have no doubt that you will be banging in the winners left, right, and center. Learn, bet, win is the site. You can follow Declan on social media as well. We'll tag a link to him uh, on the Final Forum podcast page and on my page at Radio Emmet as well. Declan, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed it. Um, we'll do more on this in the coming weeks and um, lots of interview content coming up as well, including with various different trainers, uh, not just talking about their horses, but talking about how they got into this game. Uh, lots of different exciting content coming your way. Uh, stay with us on the Final Forum Podcast. Look after yourself and each other. God bless.